I want to lay out, uh, for those of you who are kind of wondering this time that we're in, what are we in a book or whatever? Um, obviously, as you know, our bread and butter is always going to be going through books in the Bible. And we've had these kind of moments where we've stopped and, and looked at certain things. And um, the next three or four weeks, um, including last week, is kind of that time, something we've coined just simply rhythms. Um, and, and, and essentially what we want to do as we go into Easter is walk through a couple things that we, we really deem important for us to know at our, our, as our core beliefs. And um, so one of the things that we're going to do next week is we're going to talk through prayer. What is prayer? Um, how do we pray? What does that look like? Uh, the week after, I'm going to give an apologetic uh, in regards to the Bible. How can we trust it? That's going to feel a little bit more like a classroom. But um, if we're going to use the Bible every single week and we're going to go through text by text, how can we trust it? Is it a reliable book? What about all of the agnostic and atheistic um, uh, apologetics against the Bible? So I'm going to do my best to unpack how we can trust the Word of God. And this morning, well, actually, let me remind you, last week was just a big reminder for us celebrating that one year in community. Community, if you're not familiar, is a big part of the DNA of Redemption Peoria. <clears throat> and then today, I want to actually talk about um, mission. Now, um, before we get into that, just so you kind of understand our, our calendar that we're going we're gonna to move from there. Um, when we're done with those things, the last thing being the apologetic of the Bible, obviously there's Easter. After Easter, we're going to start going through the book of Titus, okay? And as we go through the book of Titus, uh, you, you'll hear a lot about that, interacting with, with communities and all that. And then as we hit the summer, we're going to go through the book of Psalms. Now, um, we're not going to go through all the book of Psalms. If you're familiar with how gigantic it is, um, we're going to spend 12 weeks on it and, and uh, go through 12 specific Psalms, but if we did the whole book of Psalms, it's like the size of the New Testament, and that would take like 15 years. So um, we're going to go through 12 weeks of it through the summer, and then we'll pick up in the fall with something new. So that's kind of the, um, the rhythm that, that we'll be in, uh, just so you're familiar. This morning, uh, I don't know any better way to say it than I'll say this. I'm not really a dude who likes to take past sermons and um, recapitulate them and change them and, and, and whatever, um, but I am this morning going to take something that I've taught on um, but that I don't think many of you are familiar with. I think um, <clears throat> looking at last week, just in my opinion, and, and maybe you disagree, last week was probably my favorite service that I've ever been to at Redemption Peoria. Just listening to the stories, there was a couple moments where like, I'm getting ready to baptize somebody, right? And I look over and just the community's waiting for him. And I was like, I can't do this. This is like watching a soldier come home, right? Like, I can't do this right now. Um, there, the, it's, it was really exciting. And, and what made me think in, in all of this is as, as we continue to do this, I forget that there are some of you who've only been coming to Redemption Peoria for like a month or two months. Um, and and that, that becomes helpful for, for us as elders to know because we met here um, a week before the first Sunday, before I believe it was Super Bowl Sunday, whatever it was, the 7th, February 7th. We met in this room a week before that or two weeks before that um, with just a core group of people. And at the time, we only had like 60, 65 people. And what I laid out in front of us and what I continue to lay out in the communities um, as we are gathering once a month as communities was over and over that we are planting a church for mission. I said that maybe a hundred times. We are planting a church for mission. And though there's introspection that's going to happen and though, though um, uh, uh, we'll continue to, to study the word so that we are edified as a body we are starting a new church, and if you look around just in downtown Peoria, there's a dozen other churches, right? So, so why is it that this area geographically needs another church? No, we're, we're planting because we feel like, we felt like, and still do feel like we can reach a group of people that aren't being reached, and that is mission. We're planting a church for mission. And so one of the things that I want to start um, over this three weeks, this week, next week, and the following week, is reminding us, and maybe for the first time you hearing 
why and how we believe that plays out. Like, what does that look like? And I'm literally going to go to the same text that I, I taught through the week before. So if you were in that room that day, a lot of this is going to sound familiar, and I apologize for that. But the reality is, if we're going to keep a culture, um, uh, the, the DNA that we've had at Redemption Peoria that people seem to, to love, and I love wholeheartedly as the pastor here, is I, I want to remind us. I, I want to continue to put this in front of us. This is how we're doing it. This is what we believe we're doing. This is what it looks like. And so that, that brings us to Matthew 28. Now, as we get there, you can open your Bibles, but I, I want to lay out a couple things um, that are important before we actually get to the text, okay? Um, and it is the driving force that drives our mission, okay? So, so the preface before we get to the mission piece is, why mission? Like, how did we get there? How, how did we arrive there? Why, planting, why is planting a church the answer for mission? So I'm going to tell a story that you maybe, if you've been here in the last year, have heard many times, but I, I've got to tell it. I've got to remind us. And it's the story of the way the world began, okay? And so uh, the story begins, as I say, every single time when there is nothing. Not only is there nothing, there's not anything to create anything. But God makes things to create things, right? So he begins to create matter and he creates things. And the very unique thing about Genesis 1 and 2, as you open up your Bible and read it for the first time, is as he creates these things, like some kind of programmer, the way he would program an electronic of some kind, he wires it in such a way that it's true fulfillment, whether it be a tree, an animal, or very, or very much so us as human beings, we are wired in such a way, created, fastened in such a way that there is, according to Ecclesiastes 3.11, eternity stored up in our hearts. That we are made to bring glory to him. We are created to push all and reflect things back to him. And this is Adam and Eve being fastened together. I am wiring you in such a way to bring you glory. This is the trees, the frogs, it doesn't matter. Psalm 119, or Psalm 19, 1 through 4, Romans 1. We find out all of creation. Isaiah 6, that all of the earth, even as we look up, the stars in the sky are declaring his name. Everything that is anything that God has created, he puts this little piece of wiring in going, the only way you're going to find fulfillment, the only way you're going to truly be happy is if you find it in me. And our story begins in Genesis 1 and 2 just like that. And if you know how the story goes in Genesis 3, that is broken. So the wiring, the eternity that is stored up within man, man now tries to find his identity in something else, looks to something else, and all of creation falls apart at the wheels. It, it breaks down. And so now, from that moment on, um, God in his beauty, and you see this in, in Genesis 3, it's called the Proto-Evangelion. It's the first gospel. We see this declaration by God that I am going to restore this. I am going to defeat the serpent, though he'll bite his heel. The, the, the one that I send, uh, this, this Messiah will crush his head. And we see this promise. The moment things go bad, God goes, <clears throat> I can fix it. So here's how this plays out. And this is why mission is important. As the story goes on, God, you, 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 uh, you're introduced to Cain and Abel, the flood, so on and so forth. But then you run into a chapter in chapter 11 of Genesis, and it's the story of the Tower of Babel. And now you have this people, which was just a garden, has slowly grown into a town, which is almost a city. And this eclectic group of people now surround the city, and they come up with an idea. Maybe, just maybe, if we build a tower big enough to heaven, we'll make a, a great name for ourselves. Can you see how the wiring's off? Like immediately, what I think of is, is two power lines and, what, and the power line's down and that power line's going everywhere. It's looking for something. It's looking to be attached to the other side. 
And it's going to continue to flail around until it finds the other connection. And this is the people in Genesis 11. They're looking for a way to find joy, to find happiness. And they think if they build this tower and make a great name for themselves, they'll find it. And of course they're wrong. Now here's where this becomes really tricky. Because God looks at this tower and goes, this is not how it's supposed to be. This is not what I want. And so he, he removes the tower and then he takes them. And the little word, literal word is disperses. He disperses them all over the world, okay? I don't know if this is like a beam me up, Scotty type of thing. I don't know how he does this. He like picks them up like the video, the, the claw game, right? I have no idea how this plays out, but he disperses them. And as he disperses them in chapter 11, something amazing happens. You flip your page in your Bible and you're introduced to a guy named Abraham. And from that moment on, you find this guy named Abraham he is the epitome, or he is the core starting place to draw the nations back to God. And here's the premise of what he's going to do it. He's going to do it, God's going to do it to make his name great. So, so, so uh, listen, listen. How God is fixing the wiring is, you're doing it, you're just doing it wrong. I'm going to separate you, I'm going to scatter you, so that when you're drawn back to me, you're drawn back for the right reasons. No longer is it going to be about your name, your fame, your glory, but now I'm going to draw you back to myself and it's going to be about me. Because when it's about me, you're wired the right way. You find your ultimate happiness, you find your ultimate joy. And so this is what happens. The the rest of the story of the Old Testament is over and over, God growing that, that, um, that family in Abraham and constantly saying, you are here, I've chosen you. I could have chosen the Midianites, the Philistines, I chose you, sorry, I've chosen you so that people around, the people I've scattered, will look and go, there's something different about them. And they would be drawn. They are literally blessed. The reason God has blessed them with his presence is so that they would be a blessing to the nations. They are called, they are chosen, they are elected for the purpose of mission. They are selected for that. And and Chris Wright has a great line where he says this. Uh, He says, it's not so much that God has a mission for his church, but rather he has a church for his mission. It's not so much that, that in that moment God has selected them. Okay, now go save them. No, no, no. I have saved you to save the nations. I have, I've called you now to go to them. There is no being with me and not going to them. I, I, this is part of the way that you're right, because I want everyone to experience what this looks like. Now, of course, if you know your, your Bibles, um, the, the, the Israelites, so that, that selected uh, people, as they continue to grow, they become extremely introspective, um, which isn't always bad, but they come so much so that they ultimately shut off what is their ultimate call. They, 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 they make the law of God, they, they make their relationship with God all about them. And now as you enter into the New Testament, the second part of your Bible, where Jesus, you find out these Pharisees, these Jews have made God so much about them, have made their relationship with God so much about them that they hate the nations. They completely miss it. Their goal, their purpose was to be for the nations. But now they've drawn so many lines in the sand that, that, that Jesus, when he comes onto the scene, he's hated because he's rubbing elbows with those type of people. And so this is confusing, right? But Jesus didn't just come to save sinners, he came to eradicate sin, right? And so he comes bringing his kingdom, says the kingdom of God is at hand, and he is now perfectly putting in place as Jesus sets, sets forth his kingdom to go. This kingdom is about all people, bringing all people back. He is tabernacling amongst us. He's setting up a tent amongst us so that people would be drawn again. So wherever Jesus is, people would be drawn in just like the people of God were supposed to be. Okay? 
Now, if you know the story, of course, Jesus lives his life doing all of these things, eventually is crucified, dead, buried, uh, and, then, and then rises from the dead. And at the very end of his life, um, not just his, his physical life, but as he, um, get, he's getting ready to ascend into heaven, he gives what is traditionally called this Matthew 28 passage, the, the marching orders, right? That this, is, this is what he's going to say. This is what he's going to do. And so uh, we're going to read through that. I'm going to go through my best. And, and this is going to be helpful as we enter into Titus in a few weeks because um, we're, we got like one or two verses at a time sometimes. And so um, here we only, we're, we're going to work with... Uh, five verses, and so I, I want to go through these the best I can. So if you already haven't, um, this is at the end of all that, as, as I've kind of tried to do my best to set the stage. Matthew 28, verse 16, Jesus has died. He rose from the dead. He gave instructions to his disciples to meet him in Galilee. This is what it says. Now, the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. If you're not familiar how this is going to work, I'm going to read a verse, stop, explain it, read a verse. We're just going to do a gigantic Bible study together, okay? And the first thing you need to know is where they were. Jesus commanded them to go to this certain place, which is closer to a 30-mile walk. So it's not like, well, I'm going to run out to the store real quick and see if Jesus is there. They very intentionally went um, to this mountain where Jesus had commanded them. And then verse 17 says this, and when they saw him, they being the disciples, when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Now, a a little bit of context here, because this is um, fairly comical. So when Jesus died, if you don't know this, there's this great earthquake, so much so that the veil in the temple is torn into two. This earthquake is so great that hundreds of people who were dead in the grave, like the graveyard, starts to come alive, okay? So all these people, are, they're, they're rising from the dead. The, the, there's a great earthquake. The temple's turned to, not to mention, Jesus was dead. He's standing before them, and the disciples are going, as they rub elbows with zombies, go, I don't know. What else you got, right? It's like, and, and they, they're worshiping him, but at the same time, they're going, is this real? Yes, dummy, that's your great, great, great grandma. She's standing right here. She's been dead for like 50 years. Well, maybe 100 years. I don't know how long the greats are. Um, okay, so, so there's the context. Some doubt, right? Um, and then verse 18, this is what it says. And Jesus came and he said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now, it's important that you hear these initial words because I think as a culture, um, or maybe just as a people, we understand the last words of anyone is always, right? If you're sitting at someone's deathbed and you, you always hear like, and their last words were, right? And we, we know the last words of Jesus as he dies on the cross, that it is finished, forgive them, they, for, for they don't know what they're doing. Um, but this is Jesus rises from the dead and, and now he's ascending into heaven and his, this is his last words. And the, the, the place he's going to start is, hey, check it out, y'all. Disciples, listen up. All authority has been given unto me. Now, this is a big statement because from this moment, if Jesus goes, everything that is anything is under my authority, if he says, become an Oompa Loompa, you better get orange paint like, and start painting yourself because the reality is whatever he says in that moment, then fly away, you better figure it out because all authority, whatever he's going to say next is, all authority is mine. Everything that is anything is mine. I, I, I own this. All authority is here. It's been given to me. He's now going to lay out a command. There's no going, well, is this part of what you're saying? No, all authority, all authority. He goes on to say this, um, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, if there's ever in your Bible, just some, some Bible study 101, if there's ever a therefore, always ask, 
what the therefore is there for, okay? And so we see the therefore. There is a therefore. Because, of, because all authority, we're looking back, because all authority has been given to Jesus, he now lays out this command. So whatever he's about to say is a big deal. It's a big deal. This is what he says. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So the first question I want to ask, we're going to slowly break down this text is, um, what does it mean to make disciples? So he's going to say, go and make disciples. And then he's going to describe what making disciples is. And this is what I explained a year ago to, to everyone who was sitting in the room. There are two facets to this making disciples, okay? He's going to give the two facets. The first one is, have them declare Jesus as Savior, which is found in baptism, right? So baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. There is a declaration, as we saw last week, that they are declaring that they have died with Jesus Christ. They're now living for Jesus Christ. He is my, what is traditionally known, if you're not familiar with church language, as my Savior. He, he has saved me. He has saved me. Okay? There's part one. Now, um, there are certain movements within our, our Christian culture that end there. That we can baptize people. But, but here's, here's the, the push, right? Um, you cannot have part one without having the next thing that he lays out. So, so if we're to go and make disciples, what is a disciple? They're to call on him as savior. But for him to be savior, he also has to be Lord, right? There is no having him be my savior, but not Lord stuff. And this is what he says. So baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. So this is uh, uh, interesting because he's going to say, teaching them to observe. Um, observe is in the continuous sense. So, so continue to teach them, continue to remind them all that I've commanded you. Who's the you in this context? The disciples, right? The disciples are standing here and we believe as Christians, and maybe you don't know this, that it is those very disciples that, that the apostles of Jesus Christ within the New Testament took down all that Jesus taught, and we believe wholeheartedly, according not just to this passage, but John 14, Acts 1, that those disciples wrote down documents for us to believe and learn and continue to continue to observe all that Jesus has commanded in the very book you're holding. Like that's the New Testament. You understand? So, so for us, now let's look back, right? So here we are, we're saying, how can I be a disciple? I call on him as savior, as being baptized, and then I continue to observe all that he has commanded me as found in the Bible. I mean, this is Christianity 101. Christian, this is how you make disciples. Have them call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and they'll be saved and teach them to observe all that I've commanded them. Okay? So let's continue on. Teaching them all that I, I commanded you to, to, to the disciples. Now, um, in the end, we're going to get to the, the, the end of the passage, but here's, here's where we're going to go back to the mission part of it, okay? Because I kind of glossed over a two-letter word that you probably saw in there, and it is the word go. And if you grew up in the church, that two-letter word is the word in this passage. Um, mission conferences have been built on it. People have gone across the, nation, across the world and back again based on this word because here is Jesus. He's looking at his disciples, and he says, go, go, go make disciples, I want you to baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I want you to teach them to observe all that I've commanded you. Give them the word. Uh, continue to, to rock their world in, 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 uh, in exhortation, in encouragement, and in accountability. Do this well. Go. And so people have heard this command, and they've said, okay, well, then I need to go. And so they go to, to Asia, or they go to Japan, or they, or, well, I guess Japan is in Asia. They, they, go, they go to different parts of the world, wherever it is. And as they're going to these different parts of the world, they are obeying this command unfortunately it's not a command so in english we have um 
what is called imperatives, okay? Um, and this is actually in Greek as well, but this is important. So maybe you don't know what an imperative is. So let's think of the word run, okay? If I'm looking at my son and he says, Dad, I forgot my skateboard, I, I say, okay, go get it, run, okay? I've taken that word and I've made this verb an imperative. I've made it a command. I, that, that's ultimately what this is. But I can also say, hey, how was your run? And it's not an imperative. And in English, we have to know the context to know what is an imperative and what is not. When I say imperative, a command. What is a command and what is not? So the word run could be a command or it could not be. But you don't need that in Greek. See, what Greek does is it tells you when there is a command or an imperative and it tells you when there is not. And this word go is not a command. In this moment, Jesus is not telling you to Go. Uh, let, let, let me say it better. Well, I, I won't say it. It's a guy from a guy named Thomas Paine. We use a, a book for our leadership development called The Trellis and the Vine. And in this, he describes this certain passage. This is what he says. The participle, this is, that's what go is. The participle is probably better translated when you go or as you go. The commission is not fundamentally about mission out there somewhere else in another country. It's a commission that makes disciple making the normal agenda and priority of every church and every Christian disciple. So the question is, what is the imperative? The imperative was the teaching, the baptizing, the discipling. Literally, when it says make disciples, you wouldn't even say make disciples of all nations. You would say disciple the nations. It's a command. So he says, go make disciples, go and disciple the nations, teach them, teach them to observe all that I've commanded them and baptize them. Those are the commands. Go is this, hey, what are you doing tomorrow? Are you going to work? Are you going to school? You're going to kick it with neighbors? You're going to hang out with family? You're going to see friends? Because whatever you're doing, wherever you're going, make disciples there. And in a culture where we drive, we are driven by what vocation we have, we miss this completely. Because what you do has become your identity. And so I deal with college students all the time. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. And it seems like the New Testament is far less concerned about, what, uh, about where you're doing, what you're doing. Rather, what you're doing is more important. Do you understand? So, so the idea that you can go be a car, uh, wash cars, or you can be a doctor, or, or you can be a teacher, whatever it is, where is not necessarily important. So for you to wrestle with, I don't know. The question that you need to ask is, do you want to be a doctor because you ultimately believe in being a doctor you can make disciples of all nations? Do you want to be a teacher because of that? Do you want to be a stay-at-home mom because of that? Whatever it is, wherever you go, I'm not necessarily concerned with, God did not speak to me audibly and tell me to be a third grade teacher in Maryville. That, that's not the, there, there's no like, okay, here's what I do. Rather, wherever you go, as you go, make disciples. Do you understand the difference here? So we've heard this for too long to go, go, leave. But the reality is, it's in this continuous sense. As you go, wherever you are, make disciples. So what does this look like? Um, as, as he finishes the passage, this is what he says um, about this. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And I think, um, unfortunately, we've thrown away this last statement and it's just kind of this throwaway end of the verse, but, but it's actually not. I want you to listen to the beauty of what this is. If you go back to verse 19, he says, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. That all nations is the word ethnos. It's where we get our word ethnicity from. Okay. So he's going to say all people. It's not just a geographical location, but wherever you are, 
all people, and here's his declaration. Um, um, notice that, that he's going to say this. I am with you always to the end of the age. So there's two things. He's talking to 12 specific disciples, isn't he? He's talking to 12 specific disciples. But I, 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 I'm telling you to go to all people. In their mind, I don't know fully, they don't know about the Native Americans. I mean, Joseph Smith does, but he does, they don't know. Okay? That was a Mormon joke. I'm sorry. Okay? They, 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 they don't know. They don't know where the other nations are. They, 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 in their mind, they're regionally kind of trapped. So, so this all nation seems to be bigger than the 12 disciples. It's not left on them. And not only is it not left on them, till the end of the age, the disciples are going to live maybe 60 years. And Jesus is going to say, I'm with you until the end of the age. The disciples will be long and gone. No, guys, this is not just for the 12 disciples. The all people for all time belongs to us as well. That as we continue to learn and observe all that Jesus has commanded, we recognize that this command to baptize, to teach over and over, to make disciples, to disciple the nations is on us as well. Wherever we go, wherever we are, Mother Teresa, which I'm sure you've heard her name before, says this. Stay where you are. Find your own Kolkata. Find the, the, the stick, uh, find the sick, the suffering, and the lonely right where you are. In your own homes, in your own families, in your workplaces, and in your schools, you can find Kolkata all over the world if you have the eyes to see. Everywhere, wherever you go, you find people who are unwanted, unloved, uncared for, just rejected by society, completely forgotten, completely left alone. This is everywhere. And you know what's the beautiful about this is living in suburbia, growing up in the ghetto, living in suburbia, I almost find more brokenness in suburbia than I did find in the ghetto. Because the reality is in the ghetto, the brokenness is obvious. It's hunger, it's homelessness. But the reality is in suburbia, we can mask and hide a lot of this brokenness until it blows up with you trying to kill yourself or your, your kids running away because they hate you. <coughs> No, there's brokenness all over. And here's the beauty about this, this discipleship making where it is. I don't live in your neighborhood. I do not work where you work. As John Stott would say, we need to bring the whole gospel, that, 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 that this is for all nations. We need to bring the whole gospel with the whole church, that is you, that is me, to the whole world. We need to bring the big gospel that Jesus has come to reconcile and restore all things back to himself everywhere. But, but, but I don't work in the doctor's office you work in. I don't do construction where you do construction. You do. So wherever you go, whatever job you're going to do, it's not ultimately the point. Like even bringing Andy up here, right? She's laying this out, living this out, and what motivates her, and I I don't want to speak for her, but what motivates her, what drives her, is the glory of Jesus Christ to bring him glory, to, to bring him honor. So wherever she is to make disciples, um, a great example of this, of this is, is um, over the last couple of months, I've been trying to build a skate ramp for my son, Corbin, um, and I never thought I'd be doing that. I'm disappointed him every day for skating. Um, just kidding. Golly. Um, um, no, so I, I, he's really good, like really good. That's just not a proud papa. Like that dude is, he f- scares the crap out of me good. Um, and so we built this kind of half pipe uh, uh, deal and it's just, you know, it's a pocket or whatever. And I started building it and I realized immediately I couldn't. But what's crazy is, um, what's crazy is two doors down from me is a guy who makes skateboards, perf- like that's his job. And he is, he's, he makes skate parks all over the valley. And then two months ago, our next, our immediate next door neighbor to the right, 
I'm the guy who's responsible for, for up to 90% of the skate parks that have been built. All the cement skate parks, whether you've been to um, Union Hills or Maryvale or wherever you've been all over the valley, he's responsible for building all of those. And he just happened to move in. I'm like, hey, bro, I'm building a, building a half pipe. What do you think? And they literally ripped everything apart and built it themselves. Okay? And I was like, well, that's encouraging. Um, so, so last night, it's, it was the crown jewel. Finally, we finished this skate park, and, uh, this, little, this little thing. And it was, the whole neighborhood was around, right? Now, in that moment, I'm not saying, ladies and gentlemen, ladies and gentlemen, can I get your, your attention, please? You're here because I need to tell you about Jesus Christ, okay? Now, I've been there. I've been on Mill Avenue preaching like that, okay? That, but that, that's not what I did. No, 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 no. I have the neighbors that I have because God has given them to me. I, I'm where I live because God has placed me there. And so as I build a relationship with Chris, as I build a relationship with Jay, as we build relationships with Lori, we recognize that our goal in all of this is to make disciples. And here's the key part of making disciples. It started with people who doubted, man. It started with people who doubted. So I don't look and go, until you get your act together, I'm going to come alongside you. No, no. That is not what Jesus does. He comes alongside people over and over. Even certain parts in Luke gets frustrated. How long am I going to have to bear with you morons? Now, he didn't say more, but like pretty much. I mean, this is the, this. And, and so we come alongside those people and continue to ask. And, it, and, it's, and it, it's not being a pastor that does that. That's not what motivates me. We would do this either way. It is being intentional. It is being intentional. Let me read a verse to you. Um, that I think hopefully would help in some of this because ultimately it does lead back to Jesus, not just telling us what to do, but, but how he did it. It's in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. You can go there if you want. You don't have to. It's actually not going to be on the screen, so you can just listen if you'd like. This is what it says. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God and through Christ, uh, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So here's what he said. You now, if you call yourself a Christian in this room, and maybe you don't, but if you do call yourself a Christian, you are a new creation in Christ. That old man is gone. The old Abu is gone. The old Charles is gone. They're gone. And the new has come. You are a new creature in Christ. And then he says that newness that, 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 that Jesus did to you, that the Holy Spirit continues to do to you. Now you are a minister of that newness. You are a minister of that reconciliation. And he goes on to say this, <laughs> ministry of reconciliation, verse 19, that is in Christ, God was reconciled, reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting us to the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Do you hear what he's saying? Remember how we started the story. There was a nation and the people were to look at that nation and go, there's something different. And they're saying that's because God in our community is reconciling the world back to him. That is you. That is you. The story continues. Like this is your journey. That, that, that as you continue to follow Jesus Christ, there is no, I'm following Jesus Christ without an eventual pulse by the Holy Spirit to tell you, you, you need to live for me before the nations. 
And this is not just in presence. Let's not get it twisted because I think the pendulum can swing. Well, Sean was out before his neighbors. He never talked to anything. No, just earlier that afternoon, Chris comes over. A new guy came over. He goes, this is, this is Sean. He's, if you want Jesus, you can talk to him about it. He knows I'm a Christian. Like We had those conversations. So presence and proclamation are happening at the same time. And this is me trying to walk them through what the world is supposed to look like. That it's not found in all the things that some of the, sometimes our world finds it's in, but the joy is found ultimately in the way they are what? They're wired. They're created. They're created to bring glory to God. They just don't know it, man. And that we would have patience with them. That would come alongside them. Because that's exactly, according to this passage, what Jesus did for us. You know what's crazy is? You will spend eternity on the new earth in a resurrected body, according to 1 Corinthians 15. You will have a body that won't break down as we displayed in baptism last week. You will have a body that no longer suffers, no longer feels pain. Every single person who spends eternity with Jesus Christ will have a perfected body and they, um, they won't break down except there's this one person who will forever have scars in their hands so that the rest could have that privilege. You understand? It's, it's not that Jesus was raised from the dead and then like his... Even in his resurrected body, the same type of body, according to 1 Corinthians 15, that we will be given in his eternal body for all of eternity, creation will cry, blessed is the lamb who was slain before the foundations of the earth. This is why you're here. That's crazy. Jesus, Jesus forever, forever is affected by this. And this is our call. This is, this is what God has, has led us into. I, I pray that we would be good stewards of this grace, that we would recognize we have been blessed to be a blessing. And ultimately, um, I will leave you with um, the fourth member of the Trinity, Charles Spurgeon. (laughs) He says this. We must school and train ourselves to deal personally with the unconverted. We must not excuse ourselves, but force ourselves to this irksome task until it becomes easy. How true is that? Like it is not always easy to be around people who don't believe like you believe, who don't feel like you feel, who don't think like you think. That is, irksome is the perfect word. Sometimes you're going, ugh, it's perfect. And then he finishes with this. Every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter. That's what we've been called to, man. We are missionaries, not necessarily where, but what we've been called to do. Let me pray for us. Father, we're reminded of what you've called us to do this morning. Um, I understand that I'm just a dude walking us through the text, but this is something that we as a church have to feel, that you have um, a church for your mission, not just some mission for your church. It's evangelism or um, a mission or mission mission somewhere out there. All these things are, are not... Um, something that Christians should do. It's something that we are. It's, it's where we go. We're not commanded just to go to our neighbor, but, but as we go, as we interact, as we continue to, to love and relate to these people, as we continue to come alongside these people, that we are making disciples, that we would proclaim who you are, that they, they would eventually see, and then eventually as we would guide them through, as you have shown us time and time again, even in this church, people who did not know you just months ago being baptized. And now learning the things in which you taught your very disciples. This is a testament to your name. It's a testament that you save people. That is your mission. And that we only come alongside you. 
that you're already doing something in my neighbor's hearts and minds. You're already doing something. And so my question to you, like all of our questions to be is, what are you doing, God? What, what should I say? How should I act? Because wherever I am, I want to be all there for the purpose of mission, to, to, to recognize that I've been blessed with, with the relationship of reconciliation, that I'm a new creation to be a blessing. May we hold this fast to our heart. May we never, ever become so inclusive that we don't recognize and see the loss and brokenness among us. We love you. We praise you. We thank you. It's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen.